from the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome to the world according to Wikipedia, the podcast that explores the weird, wonderful, and baffling world of Wikipedia, the people who write it, and what makes them tick. With me, Fanula, and me, Rebecca. In this episode, we will be talking to Dimitar Parvanov Dimitriov, the Wikimedian in Brussels who talks about why public domain matters and the difficulties around it. So, Rebecca, what is your favourite day of the year as a Wikipedian? Well, do you want my real answer or the one that advances the episode of the podcast? You mean they're not the same day? Well, strictly speaking, I'd have to say that Wikipedia Day, which is the 15th of January, has a very special place in my heart. But we can talk about that in the next episode. Aside from that, like many, many Wikipedians, I now have a rather greater understanding of copyright than I did when I started editing Wikipedia in earnest about seven years ago. And one of the things you start to look forward to is the 1st of January each year. So what's so special about the 1st of January? While the length of work stays in copyright varies all over the world, most have one thing in common, and that's that they come out of copyright and into the public domain, however many years that takes, on the 1st of January. Oh, right. So it's an exciting day. It is an exciting day. So in Ireland, copyright lapses 70 years after the death of the creator, which means that on the 1st of January 2021, creators who have died in 1950, their work comes into the public domain. And I presume you kind of know in advance who you're waiting for, the interesting people you're looking out for. There are literally lists <laughs> <laughs> sorted by date of death. Uh, Anyone so, in particular this year? So this year, on New Year's Day 2021, the work of George Bernard Shaw will be out of copyright. Oh, wow. That's exciting. I didn't realise that he lived until 1950. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was long gone at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so there are ones you're like, really? It's like, yeah. you know, it's like, I don't know, there was a few celebrity deaths this year and I was like, Really? I thought they'd already gone. I could have sworn that person was already dead. But these people, you know, extending far into the 20th century. And of course, so in the Irish example, our copyright law is pretty much identical uh, to the United Kingdom because right. we did ourselves do a little bit of copy and paste. And obviously most of the people who have, you know, that we would call Irish up until this point, most of them would, would have been British subjects. So they would have been covered by the British law. Exactly. So we're kind of getting into quite middle 20th century. So quite kind of important important figures in their work coming in. So this means that, you know, all those restrictions around their their work is removed and they can be used in more, I suppose, in freer ways. In keeping with our crash course on copyright, we're going to take a look at it for our random rule of Wikipedia for this episode and why Wikipedians do care about it. So do you know what a Creative Commons license is? Is that where anyone can use the item, the the piece of art, uh, without having to pay to use it? Well, that's one way of looking at it. Creative Commons licenses were developed as a way of creators making their work as open for reuse as possible, as opposed to the more default, more restrictive copyright. So when you or I create something, Yes. like a podcast, a photograph, a poem or a drawing, we hold the copyright to it by default. It is our work. But if, say, if you wanted to publish it somewhere, so on a blog or on Flickr or whatever, a Creative Commons license means that you are letting other people know explicitly that it is under a more permissive license, which allows for varying different levels of unrestricted reuse, re- remix or publication. And that they're tagged with a clear license that tells you exactly how to properly reuse the created object. So whether or not you have to say who created it, when it was created, that kind of thing? 
or where you got it from. Okay, so yeah. via Flickr, via Wikimedia Commons, all of Wikipedia everything that you see on it, the text, and most images that you see on Wikimedia Commons, the images that illustrate Wikipedia, mm-hmm. are published under a form of Creative Commons license. And the one that is used there is Creative Commons share alike by attribution. So by attribution means that you say where you got it from. Okay. And that's the most common one. So you say, yeah. So public domain, you don't actually need to say where you got it from. Creative Commons generally have to attribute the author. Right. And the other one then share alike means that you can't make, you can't take the content and then put a more restrictive license on it. So it's iterative. You know, it has to be share alike. It has to be the same. So if I take content from a Wikipedia article, use the language pretty much as it is, but tweak it and maybe present it as a book, I can't then slap my copyright on it. It has to be under a Creative Commons license again. The, the whole reason that the you know the commons language is used is around kind of the idea of the agricultural commons. So yes. this is the idea of the digital commons. So that, you know, they are free to be used and reused and passed around. So once something is under Creative Commons or share we'll say for example the share alike commons, it can't then be restricted post fact. Yeah, exactly. You can't revoke you can't revoke the license. Uh, you can have little caveats on it as well. Like you can have non-commercial reuse, which an awful lot of glam institutions, things like that. So it means you can't make money. So say if you take a photograph and, you know, make it into a GIF or something like that, you can't then sell that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also non-derivative, which means that you can't change. So you can take a photograph and you can do what you like with it, but you can't change the photograph at all. So they would be the main two caveats that you would come across. But now to tell us a whole lot more about the complicated world of Wikipedia and copyright, we will chat to our man in Brussels, Dimmy. I'm Dimi, and I follow European Union legislation and regulation to make sure that whatever comes out of Brussels does not inhibit the sharing of free knowledge and educational content online and offline. And ideally, uh, even uh, makes sharing of information on Wikipedia and its sister projects easier uh, for our community and for everyone else in the world. I know within the Wikimedia world, you get referred to as Wikimedia's man in Brussels. What exactly does that mean? Well, um, well, where this comes from is that uh, when we decided that we need to um, follow up on what's going on in Brussels, we decided we need somebody there who would basically do the job. But we didn't want to be this just traditional lobby shop that has a lobbyist and, you know, um, a, a traditional person and the consultancy there. Uh, but we want to actually reflect that, you know, we are a community and one of our community members uh, gets to do this job. And this is why we came up with this rather, let's say, neutral title of uh, Wikimedian in Brussels. Uh, on a daily basis, it means that there is a legislative process. So usually when the European Union wants to do new legislation, they first have a consultation, a public consultation, which uh, me and my colleague Anna Masgal it's two of us in Brussels for Wikimedia. Uh, we read through whatever they have in mind. We usually have a meeting with the commission. Then we answer this public consultation. We usually set up a, a page on MetaWiki and ask for community participation. So we have a very open system where anybody who wants to join our efforts on one or another reform can do that. 
And then the European Commission usually proposes a, a legislative file. Recently, this happened with the Data Governance Act, and this goes to Parliament. And then what we do is we see whether Wikidata and Wikipedia and our other projects, whether they would be at all influenced by that, whether anything would change for them. And if yes, if it's in a good way, we go out to, to the European Parliament and we say we support this. And if not, we say we have an issue here because this would this change in legislation would have us have less open data on Wikidata and that's not good. Could you please fix that? So that's what it means. Um, well, that's the core of, of the job, basically. So why is it that Wikimedia cares so much about copyright? Well, because it, it simply is a part of our everyday lives. Everything we do nowadays um, basically creates a copy, uh, no matter whether we send a, a meme over a chat program or whether we write something on a Wikipedia article. Everything is ruled by copyright. And therefore, um, it depends on copyright law, whether we can have an article about Madonna and have the CD cover of one of her albums, and whether we can have a picture of the Eiffel Tower on the Wikipedia article, and on whether we can um, depict a certain uh, painter with uh, one of their paintings that hangs in the Louvre, for instance. You know, you kind of mentioned, I suppose, a lot of the collections of the Louvre in particular would be what would what we would regard as public domain. So the the creator of the work has died, is a historical figure, so their work has fallen into the public domain. But why is it that Wikimedians are so exercised about public domain works and particularly how they're managed by their institutions like galleries and libraries and museums? Yes, uh, basically, I, I think Wikimedians and uh, museums and libraries and galleries have the same mission. They want to preserve, to safeguard uh, our cultural heritage, and they want to share it with their communities, with, with uh, their, their fellow citizens, with society at large. Um, however, the approach we take is, of course, very different. Different, uh, and we just want everything, or you know, a, a digital copy of everything, to be freely available online. And this, of course, sometimes clashes uh, with how traditionally museums operate, and how even public museums are asked by their governments to finance themselves. So they're really dependent on people going into the building and paying an entrance fee. Most of them do actually rely on this money to quite a bit. So where we clashed in the past is that while everything that's older well, the, the rule of thumb here is um, anybody who's been dead for longer than 70 years, uh, his or her works are in the public domain, which means they're free of copyright and restrictions imposed by copyright. So you can theoretically do whatever you want with these images. However, they were and there still are for a few more years, uh, probably quite a few exceptions to this. So for instance, in Germany, uh, next to copyright, you have uh, image rights, which means that even if an old painting is in the public domain, if somebody takes a photo thereof, the photo has a different set of rights that protect it. This was a problem for us. There was this very famous court case in Germany where the Rice Engelhorn Museum in the city of Mannheim basically sued a Wikipedian for putting up a portrait uh, painted by Cesar Willig. Uh, it was a portrait 
of Richard Wagner and it depicted the article of uh, Richard Wagner on Wikipedia, on German Wikipedia at least. So um, basically the Wikipedian and the Wikimedia Foundation, it went all the way up to uh, Germany's highest court and they lost because the highest court said, well, yes, copyrights expired, but there are image rights on this. And uh, what we did is there was at this time, uh, it was a few years ago, the EU copyright reform was just happening. And we went to parliament and to the um, member states governments of the European Union and we said, well, this is not right because public domain is supposed to ensure, you know, there is some balance between protected and, you know, the commons. Um, so they said, yeah, actually, yes, you know, public domain shouldn't be extended by related rights or, you know, by such different manners. In Spain, for instance, you get an extra 20 years of copyright protection if you digitize an image, which, of course, is a mess. Uh, so now in the latest uh, copyright reform that passed uh, in the European Union and that is going to be implemented in all EU member states next year. Uh, we have an article that actually uh, is a public domain safeguard, and it says that if a work is in the public domain, any re faithful, so any one-to-one um, -one reproductions thereof will also remain in the public domain regardless of, you know, image rights. So uh, we consider this as one of our gains and also something that just makes digitization and sharing of our cultural heritage much safer and much easier. I'm talking to you because we're coming up onto New Year's, which I think for a lot of Wikimedians is synonymous with Public Domain Day, when a lot of works, you know, when you say when, when somebody is, depending on where they are in the world, has uh, died 70 or 50 or however many years previous, uh, their works fall into the public domain. But this is obviously, it's, a, it's important to Wikimedia projects, but it's also very complicated. Can you give us some idea of how Commons and the Wikimedia movement broadly have to navigate these very kind of complicated global different rules and things like that? Basically, it's a mess and it takes a lot of people uh, digging into a lot of legal texts and, you know, additions to these reforms and then debating and arguing about it. And it's, I think, Europeana and Comunia, so uh, two associations that also care about the public domain a lot. Um, a few years ago, they made this thing, this project called the Public Domain Calculator. And for basically each of the then 28 member states of the European Union, they had like a flowchart of how to establish whether a work is in the public domain. And we actually printed it out and tried to hang it on, on in the corridor. And I think it was, although it was like tiny text, like small letters, it was, I think, three meters uh, tall. Um, so it, it was a huge flowchart. Yeah, it's, 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 it's basically hard. We have the general rule that it's life plus 70 years. Uh, and this has also been sort of unified across the European Union, but because the European Union works as it does, uh, whatever traditional exception to this rule um, there was, most member states got to keep it. So now, for instance, we have the situation where in France you get uh, an extra 30 years of copyright protection for works if the author died uh, on active service, which is very famous by now case of uh, The Little Prince with uh, Exupéry having um, died in, in World War II as a, as a fighter pilot for France. Uh, so he enjoys these extra 30 years of copyright protection, but only in France. So the um, Le Petit Prince, so The Little Prince, is uh, public domain everywhere in the EU except for in France. So what does this mean? Frankly, we don't know. Uh, which law applies to Wikipedia? That's a very complicated question to answer. 
Yes, I suppose Wikipedia and Wikipedia Commons are an unusual case because it has this global reach. I think people are probably not aware of also the compl- the complication of where the actual physical media sits. So the fact that the servers traditionally have sat in the United States. Yes, so we, we always respect US copyright law uh, because it's where the servers are physically located. So where these images and the data basically lives. Although, I mean, if, if we're honest, it's it, quite a lot of it is co-hosted in Amsterdam on a proxy, uh, but there's the technical aspect of it. But then again, if, if you look at modern legislation, increasingly what countries and blocks of countries like the EU are doing is they say, well, regardless of, of where the origin is, so where the where where the this service is is physically located, what matters is where it broadcasts or to where it's targeted. So if something is targeted in the European market, it must also, if you look at the GDPR and some of the newer legislation that the EU has been producing, it must also respect European laws which is understandable, uh, but well, we, we, we have this tension here between we still have one internet, so one electronic network that we use as a public space, but we have, regardless of whether it's copyright or it's privacy rights, territoriality. So one of two things needs to happen. Either the internet will get fragmented and we'll have many different internets, depending on which country and which territory you're in, or uh, rules and laws like copyright will increasingly become harmonized over the coming decade. And basically the the world is at the crossroads now because uh, there is this innate tension between territorial law and a global internet. So basically, we need um, we need a one-world government, a la Star Trek or something like that. Yeah, no work. It's it's probably a a topic for a few other podcasts. But yeah, I mean, one one of two things is going to happen. <laughs> Watch this space, kind of thing. Yeah. So you you hinted at it earlier, but there's I think something that a lot of people aren't aware of is the phenomena of freedom of panorama and how that affects uh, projects like Wikimedia Commons, but also the work that you've been doing with harmonizing of EU laws around copyright. Could you expand that a little bit? Yes. So freedom of panorama is one of the more obscure ones because it's one of these things that uh, practically uh, no one but Wikipedians care about. Well, increasingly people make photos, but it's basically one of these um, laws and exceptions that were created at a time uh, where photography was something completely professional and that now, you know, causes entirely different um, effects that uh, everyone basically has a, a rather high resolution camera in their pockets. Uh, But yeah, freedom of panorama means uh, basically copyright law protects anything that is artistic or original. And this, of course, includes uh, sculpture and architecture. So if you're out on on a public square and there is a sculpture or some public art that you take a photo of it, you basically create a copy of it or a derivative work of it. And according to copyright law, you would need to ask the author for prior permission. Um, Same applies to, let's say, um, a a facade of a building. And now, since this is a bit not really workable in everyday life, most countries have an exception to copyright that we call freedom of panorama, uh, which means that any art and architecture that is permanently located in public places is free to photograph. And you can use the photographs thereof. Now, there are a few exceptions to it. So Uh, France introduced this exception after we complained a lot, but only for non-commercial uses. So while it's great they have it now, we still can't properly use it on Wikipedia. Italy probably doesn't have a freedom of panorama exception, but on top of this, they also have something called the antiquity laws, which basically says that if you want to 
reuse a photograph of anything that is basically ancient uh, and the cultural heritage of the state of Italy, you need to pay the Ministry of Culture some fee. And, you know, there are all these exceptions. Um, basically, in, in some countries, you can uh, use a drone and take a photo of, you know, a public art, let's say some sculpture in a, in, a, in a public park. You can take it from a drone. In other countries, they'll tell you, no, you need to be standing on a, on a public street and then take the photo. So this makes it very complicated. I mean, people travel all across Europe and they share their images online uh, with everybody else. And we see that this law is, well, not fit for everyday use. Um, so I think um, there is some tension there and it will need to be harmonized at some point, at least across the EU. We still don't have a uh, the political will to do this because we're in the situation that basically every country wants to keep as much um, as many prerogatives as they can for themselves. Yeah, so there's this tension where there's this this the idea of harmonization sounds nice until perhaps the country loses what they would see as kind of a key element. Yes, I mean it's basically the same tension that I I, I assume exists in most countries where you know if the central government and the capital wants to do something that the communities have done so far by themselves, there will be some you know planning from the communities that they would prefer doing it themselves. So, you know, uh, we need to figure out what the best balance is. But here again, we have, if we want to keep having a common network and projects like Wikipedia that everybody can see, we also need the legal framework that allows for this to happen. Just as a as a final final question, and partly this is my own curiosity. So you mentioned that, you know, you came to this position because you were part of the Wikimedia movement and there was this idea that to have somebody from the community. So how is it that you got started how did you get engaged first with the with was it with Wikipedia? Was it with uh, you know your native language Wikipedia? How what was your in into the world of Wiki? Yeah, my in was well. No, I, I at some point I I had started editing Bulgarian Wikipedia. So this is basically my home wiki is Bulgarian language Wikipedia, partially because it's a much smaller community, so you can do much more many more things without being disturbed by other editors. Uh, the experience on on larger language wikis was. Well, you know, it, at some point you have so many people that want to argue. Uh, and on smaller Wikipedias, it's like basically you pick a topic like modern art in Bulgarian and you're alone for a year and nobody, you know, is there to help you, which is sometimes it's lonely, but sometimes it's nice. But also I think that if you come from a smaller language, even though you speak other languages and you may participate in them, um, you have this, well, I feel like it's, it's, it's a bit of a neat to give back to the smaller language and to make sure it's alive. But yeah, then, you know, long story short, I, I did my studies. I got an internship in Brussels. I stayed around, started working for a Brussels lobbying and trade association. Uh, but I also saw copyright and other things happening in Brussels that reflect on Wikipedia. So in my free time, I started uh, basically organizing this Wikipedia, Wikimedia lobbying uh, and advocacy activities, which was, you know, at a very low intensity level because I didn't have that much time next to my regular job. And then at some point, you know, basically we formed a working group and it was decided that it's one of these things that can be done by volunteers alone, mainly because of the fact that a lot of the, of the meetings and a lot of the events that you need to participate in 
and to get to talk to the political decision makers happen during the day. Uh, and you need to be able to follow a process over three, four, five, six years. And if you're a volunteer, you might be around for a few months, but then you have other things to do. You have your private life, you have your work. Um, so, you know, to ensure long-term sustainability, we decided we will have like a few one or two people who work on this, but, you know, always with the idea that as many community members as possible will be involved. Many a fascinating conversation has been had uh, with Jimmy, generally over a beer, I'm not going to lie, but he does live in Brussels. So if it wasn't over a beer, it'd probably be, I don't know, criminal or against the law. Yeah, no, that was incredibly interesting. And uh, again, we have more of that interview available. Details coming soon. This episode's Wiki Hero is a homegrown one, I'm very excited to say. Oh, exciting. Our hero is an individual editor, Kjol, which our Gael Gore listeners will know is the Irish for music. And they spearheaded a phenomenal amount of work that has resulted in an article on the Honan Chapel in Cork being reviewed as a featured article. So what does being a featured article mean? This means that the article is literally going to be featured on the homepage of Wikipedia. I don't know when yet, but it will be. So hence, hence the name. And when you look at the article, yourself, you see a little gold star in the top right hand corner. And this means that the article is of the highest quality that you'll find on Wikipedia. It is academically rigorous. It won't leave even the most expert reader wanting. Uh-huh, that sounds brilliant. And I'm going to head to the page immediately to read up on it. This is also an interesting example of how uh, Freedom of Panorama works in Ireland. So as Jimmy was talking about, you know, we enjoy that here in this country. So most of the decoration, the stained glass, the carvings, the mosaic floor in the chapel would still be within copyright of the creators because the building was built in the early 20th century. But in Ireland, we have Freedom of Panorama, which means that when the art is three-dimensional, as in in this case, and publicly accessible, so open to the public, people Mm -hmm. are free to take photographs of the chapel and its interior and upload those to Wikimedia Commons under our beautiful friend, the Creative Commons license. Yay, Ireland. And of course, this is how you can do Wiki Loves Monuments in Ireland, I presume. Exactly. And the Honan Chapel is listed as part of Wiki Loves Monuments. So if you have some of those coveted photographs, there are plenty on, on Wiki. So if you look up the article, the Honan Chapel, H-O-N-A-N, Chapel, um, it is wonderfully illustrated. There are lots of fantastic photographs of the Harry Clark stained glass. And there's also a group called Anthor Glinna, which is a glass tower. They also did um, some of the work there. But there's carvings and, as I said, mosaics and there's um, even tapestries and things like that. So it's this wonderfully, you know, I suppose it's kind of what we would probably consider, probably a little bit late, but kind of arts and crafts in Ireland. So it's, it's okay, a wonderful yeah. structure. Yeah. yeah. So well deserving of such attention. Brilliant. And the article is going to be as intricate as the chapel itself. Exactly. And that was The World According to Wikipedia. Join us in two weeks. You can subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice. Follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. Thanks to Patricia O'Flaherty for our artwork and Headstuff for production assistance. Go to headstuff.org for show notes and more information.
frite. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, or a waffle. Yeah, I don't think I've ever eaten a waffle. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.